0: The Longbox Crusade presents... Action Film Face-Off. This episode is 1986 versus 1983. Two films enter. One film leaves. Two men enter.
1: about how hard
2: you hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward how much you can take and keep moving forward that's how winning is done now if you know what you're worth then go out and get what you're worth but you got to be willing to take the hit welcome back ladies and gentlemen to action film face off the show where two random years are selected my brother brings an action film from one of the random years I bring one from the other random year. Then those two films do battle using a variety of criteria, and a champion is going to be crowned by the end of this episode. I'm Jared Albrecht, the Death Probe. Some know me as the Yard Sale Artist. My co-host is my brother Jason. Everyone knows him as the Weasel Skull. We are both military combat vets who take our action seriously, ah, but not too seriously. So let's have some fun on this episode, which we're kind of back to a. A regular style episode. I'd seen both of these movies. I think Jason had seen both of these movies. So, But we are still firmly in the 80s like we were last episode. But uh, much more of a regular episode.
0: We're going to score each of today's films on a scale of 1 to 10 in five categories. What are those categories, you ask? Well, they are the story. They are the overall spectacle. They are the best action scene. They are the hero and the villain and it's still not in that order but you keep coming back so there we are and then there will be the deduction round where up to 10 points can be minused from the film's total for whatever we determine is the low point of the movie thank you jason and now we are
2: going to introduce today's sniper and as those of you who are familiar with the show know, the sniper has just one point to give in each category. It's very, very binary. So the sniper can sway the scoring by a total of five points. And it's been interesting. A lot of our snipers have really affected the outcome of some of these episodes. So it's it's really nice to have them around. Sometimes they don't affect them at all. We're looking at you, Albert Elvis. Uh, <laughs> you, you just had one good movie and one bad movie. There was nothing we could do to save it, right? But let's find out. Let's meet our sniper for this episode. We have from the Fandom Podcast Network, the Raider Nerd himself. It is Kevin Wright. So welcome to the show, Kevin.
1: Pew, pew, pew. I am so excited to be your guest, but more importantly, your sniper. I love your show. I've been listening to it since day one, and I'm hoping that I can make a difference. I think pretty much that your guest last time, Ty, he definitely made a difference, when you guys had robots going against robots with Robocop and Terminator. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that was a banger episode, man. I, I didn't
1: usually when I go in to the recordings, I kind of know who's gonna be the champ. No clue on that one. <laughs> no idea. I was on the edge of my seat listening to that pod going, Oh my god, who's gonna win? Who's gonna yeah, win? Yeah, me too. Because, like I said on the episode, when I scored them myself, same scores. Yep. I had dead heat equal. For the record, real quick, when it comes to all time movie villains, number one, Darth Vader. For me, number two is Clarence Boddicker. Just saying. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now, if only we could mix the two. Just just yes. F- 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 <laughs> f- <laughs> <please. laughs>
2: all right. All right, Kevin. Now is the time where you reveal to our audience what your three favorite action films are going to be. So uh, remember,
1: Jason and I are judging you. That's alright. Well, you know, I it was really tough. I definitely have my number one and my number two set. It was at number three. Just have to mention, honorable mentions, Tango and Cash, 1989. One of the last great 80s buddy cop films. Mm, 92's yes. Hard Boiled. Oh yeah. But, but number three for me is definitely one of the most funnest action films, and I never get tired of watching it. I watch it all the time, and that's 1993's Demolition Man. Love, love that movie. <laughs> And for those of you that are looking for me on Twitter and Instagram, it is Spartan underscore Phoenix. So there you go. Number two, defined the new genre of action fighting and gung fu, John Wick, 2014. Mm. And not only is number one my favorite action movie of all time, it's actually my favorite movie of all time. And that is Raiders of the Lost Ark. It has my favorite action scene of all time and that is the truck chase scene never get tired of that that movie is magical and also if you watch it every 10 minutes something is happening and that movie is paced excellently and i love it for that reason
2: all good answers all correct
0: <laughs>
2: well done kevin jason got thoughts on that
0: just like we did demolition man i think didn't we as one of our films yes you did What what did it go up against? That's what I was trying to remember. It's Demolition Man. I hope it won.
2: (laughs) I hope it won. I was
0: it Demolition Man and Commando, or I I don't remember. Man,
2: whatever. It was awesome. I love that movie, too.
0: Yeah, that was a great film. You see any cows around here? (laughs) Is it cold in here? Or is it just me?
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we just
1: all quote that movie to death, by the way, it was. By the way, it did win. It went against 1977's The Sorcerer. Okay, the truck oh. driving movie.
0: <laughs> you know,
2: surprisingly good movie, but... Uh... Man, 77 is so thin because nobody wanted to release anything after Star Wars came out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like we had to dig, man,
2: because we were like, we
1: 77, we did Star Wars. 77 is basically
2: Star Wars, Spy Who Loved Me, and The Friggin' Sorcerer, man.
1: <laughs> that, that was like watching, you know, uh, those poor generals go up against, uh, oh, that other good basketball team. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Harlem Globetrotters, that's what that <laughs> was. (laughs) (laughs)
2: oh my goodness all right before our two films enter the video dome arena we are thrilled to kick off this episode with special shout outs to our crusaders club members the fine folks that have joined our crusade they get early access to special long box episodes they get to vote on show content and so much more these are the folks that are reaping the benefits and giving so much appreciated support to the show
0: Go wolf! Auburn Elvis. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robinson.
1: Captain Entropy. Dave Collins. The Battle Wagon. Battle Wagon. Gary V. Gerald Green.
0: Jason Keen.
1: Jeremy L. Jim Jarman.
0: Joe Thomas.
1: John Watson.
2: Jose Polo. Josh Strickland. Captivating Kathy Bright. Our MVP
0: monstrous mark Hathery. maxwell traver michael wagner miranda w pd devins paul hicks rick jeff and rick present captain rob morgan ross michaud the canadian daredevil possibly kingpin ryan daly samantha maney sean Urbanski. spidey 67 steve cronin Tim, and Tim Price, Tony Pennington, and Toronto Cop. He's part Canadian, part man. He's all cop. <laughs> <laughs> part man, part maple syrup. <laughs>
2: If we miss you on our list, we apologize. Please keep in mind we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're a recent edition, we'll add you soon. But no worries if we missed you. Just let us know. Send an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com and we'll get it straightened out. And you might be asking yourself, how do I become a Crusaders Club member? Well, it's super easy. Go to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to the amazing world of our Crusaders Club. Come check
0: it out. All right, enough of the chit-chat, let's get back to the combat and learn a bit about the film Gladiator's about to battle for your pleasure. This episode, I was assigned the
2: year of 1986, and I have selected Big Trouble in Little China starring Kurt Russell. Jason, what did the randomizer select for you?
0: I got 1983 and put into our video dome arena, Crawl, starring Ken Marshall. Well, we have a fine matchup for this one, folks. Now it's important to point out that this isn't Jason versus Jared or Jared versus Jason or Ken versus Jared and Jason. No, no, no. We each had to select from our assigned year. So I might very well like Jared's selection better than mine or vice versa. This is all about us discussing some beloved action films and coming to a consensus. On which one is this episode's champion? So, uh, Jared, where did you see uh, your films? I watched Big Trouble in Little China on a Blu-ray that I found at my local
2: Goodwill for $2, which made me very happy. And I watched
1: Crawl via my Plex server. What about you, uh, Kevin? I also have Big Trouble in Little China on Blu-ray. I bought this brand new, though. Didn't get lucky in finding it at Goodwill. $2. Uh, (laughs) i had the crawl dvd for years but then i upgraded to the uh, i don't know if you remember when walmart was selling these cool alternate like retro vhs slip covers for movies i don't know if you remember that or not and it's basically a slip cover that goes over the blu-ray whatever the newest blu-ray is and there's like some really cool vhs kind of coming out of it look to it but then there's these cool like Rental stickers that you remember from back in the day, this one says sci-fi, but it also says warning, this video cassette will melt if left in the car or in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Funny enough, though, I put the Blu-ray in my Blu-ray player. All I could get was just push play. I can't reach any of the special features or nowadays what I like to do with subtitles in case I miss something. But luckily, I saved the DVD and I put it inside. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> so Blu-ray. I watched the DVD instead. Still looked great. Still had special features on it. So there you go. Oh, man. So you left the Blu-ray in the sun? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. Apparently. It didn't work. It, I couldn't reach any of the special features. So I just watched the DVD. Still great. The DVD was still good. So loved Awesome. It. Mm, All right.
0: Just that's not rewound. So that's going to cost you. <laughs> Be kind. Rewind. <laughs> Well, let's see. I, too, uh, scored a copy of Big Trouble in Little China. I was a big spender. I got it for $3 at the Walmart bin. You know how they have those little bins that they put out $3? Yeah, big spender over here. And I had the Crawl DVD for years, so I watched my old Crawl DVD. So that doesn't help anybody find any of these things streaming. None of us watch them (laughs) streaming. (laughs) Unless
2: you have access to my Plex server, because that's how I watch Crawl, which is just a rip of the DVD that I put on there. (laughs) You know what, though? Spoiler warning. We're about to get into it, folks. So if you've never seen Crawl or Big Trouble in Little China, now's your chance. Pause the podcast right here and we'll be with you on the other side of this musical break. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed those two incredibly weird but wonderful films. And I'm going to jump in with some quick info on 1986's Big Trouble in Little China.
1: This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe.
0: There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern
2: mystery.
1: What's going on here? Is this some kind of
2: Magic. The darkest magic. They
0: call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos.
2: It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton.
0: Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack!
1: They told him to go to hell make one move, and that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. How are you going to spring us? I have no idea.
2: Your casting crew is as follows. It stars Kurt Russell, Dennis Dunn, and Kim Cattrall. It is directed by John Carpenter. This might be his only film. I'm not certain. He's, he's all right. He's done. <laughs> Man doesn't know how to make a bad movie. All right. Your synopsis goes a little something like this. Whew. Well, uh, trucker Jack Burton is trying to collect a debt that his buddy Wang owes him, and in the quest to collect said debt jack finds himself in the middle of a chinatown gang war and an ancient battle of good and evil that will determine the fate of the earth and possibly the universe and if i go into it anymore the synopsis will just turn into the entire movie script so that's all i'm giving you if you, if you guys haven't seen it that's all it's, you it's all you need <laughs> it's bonkers <laughs> it's about a man trying to collect a debt and find his truck and Keep a it lot simple. of other things yeah it's, Kiss. it's here's your interesting trivia or what i thought was interesting as i found on the IMDb. Item number one, the three storms were partly the inspiration for the popular character Raiden from the Mortal Kombat fighting game. And a lot of people know that, but I'm going to tack on a little bonus. A lot of people didn't know that David Lopan was also the inspiration for Shang Tsung from the same game. So the Mortal Kombat makers, I think they like this movie a little
1: bit. (laughs) Yeah, there was no Parley Ballet. That was a ripoff right there. (laughs) Loved it, though. Loved it. Oh, yeah.
2: Next up, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell explained in the audio commentary that the test screening was so overwhelmingly positive that both of them expected it to be a big hit. However, 20th Century Fox put very little into promoting the movie and it ended up being a box office bomb. In addition, the film was released in the midst of the hype for Aliens, also released same time, 1986. They were released, I think, 16 days apart. However, Big Trouble went on to be a huge cult hit through Home Video and Carpenter and Russell explained that the reason the studio did not promote it very much is they didn't know how to promote it. It's such an odd movie. And, you know... I get it. I wish they'd promoted it better. I
0: wish it had been a big hit. But man, how do you promote this film? <laughs> I don't know. We kind of ran into that same thing with Blind Fury, as I recall.
2: Yeah, yeah. Blind Fury got buried by... I mean, 1989 was such a big year for movies. Blind Fury got buried. And it was still a, it was a good film. Uh, anyway, if you guys want to hear about that, go check out our previous episode
1: <laughs> we featured Blind Fury. <laughs> Someone passed on Highlander so they could do Big Trouble, in Little China. Imagine mr jack burton on the cover of highlander he didn't do oh, it really goldie Hahn said no you got to do this film with uh, carpenter instead <laughs> oh wow kurt russell was going to be in highlander well i mean between him and
2: christopher lambert that can really be only what you know what never mind let's move on uh <laughs> the third and final trivia for big trouble in little china jackie chan was john carpenter's first choice to play wang But producer Lawrence Gordon was highly against it, fearing that Chan's English wasn't good enough after seeing his performances in Battle Creek Brawl and The Protector. But Carpenter wanted Chan after the success of Police Story. But Chan declined, and Dennis Dunn was cast instead. And I think Dennis is great, but I do want to see the version that features Carousel
0: and
1: Jackie Chan. (laughs) Oh, gosh, can you imagine that?
0: Oh, (laughs) That's all I got. My turn. Give you the rundown of 1983's Crawl. On a distant
2: planet, a great kingdom was ravaged by beings who came from
0: the future to conquer the universe.
2: Now the only survivors follow a doubtful seer and a throneless king they will hold her in the black fortress you must have help
1: thieves bandits fighters and brawlers desperate men those the kind of men i need well you heard him we are now an army <laughs>
2: the end of an impossible journey they must fight an invincible enemy is the
0: knowledge you seek
2: I shall be your king in the fortress you will face more than the slayers.
0: what is about to happen to them could never have happened on earth
2: Columbia Pictures presents a world apart from anything you have seen before
0: the cast and crew included Ken Marshall, Lysette Anthony, and Freddie Jones, and it was directed by Peter Yates. Synopsis goes a little something like this The beast has come from the void of space to conquer the world of Crawl. Opposing him, are two rival kingdoms coming together through the marriage of their children, Colwyn and Lisa. Before they can conclude the wedding ceremony, however, the Beast and his army attack the celebration and kidnap the pride-to-be. Colwyn teams up with a motley crew that includes a seer, a wizard, and a group of escaped convicts in a desperate race to free his love, slay the Beast, and liberate his planet. My pieces of trivia include... Number one, the movie was expensive to produce and occupied 10 sound stages at Pinewood Studios. This included the largest 007 studio, which was what they converted into a marsh for the mid-movie battle scene. Number two, this was the only film in which Ken Marshall received top billing. To prepare for it, he trained for months in gymnastics, fencing, and horseback riding. And number three kind of along the same lines as Big Trouble in Little China. Although the film was critically panned and flopped at the box office, it has since received a cult following. And now that we have the basics on today's contestants. Ladies and gentlemen, test your
1: might. Uh, let's-
2: It is time for the action. Now, real quick, let me remind you of the game within the game, which is match game. There are two films, with five ranking categories, which means 10 possible matches for Jason. and I I don't know his scores. He doesn't know my scores. So, uh, hey, place your bets. What's the match going to be on this one? Also, speaking of scores, let's look at our score barometer. Hey, if we give it a movie a five, that means it's average. It's fine. It's what you'd see on a pretty decent made for TV movie. I don't think we're going to see any fives in this episode. But, you know, they go up there, six seven eight nine ten. 10. You got yourself a fine film, four, three, two, one. You got yourself on you know, Quarter Main and the Temple of Skulls, I think. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> what you got.
0: All right, well, it right, was right. a blind,
2: <laughs> blind mission. Hey, I don't judge you. It was like half the fun was watching that movie. Man. Like, okay, they made this. I love bad movies. That's my thing. Anyway, now that we've covered all that, let's get into round one. And round one is the story.
0: Hadouken!
2: <laughs> How engaging and original is your story? And
0: just to throw a curveball, Jason, I'm going to let you go first this time. Oh, wow. Big trouble in Little China. I think overall, it was a very interesting story. I like how it started out. I like how it introduced the characters. The plot moved along quickly. It had a very unique... You and I talked a little bit about it before the show... Where we have kind of two fantasy fairy tale esque stories. But this one had definitely an Asian theme set in San Francisco. You had Jack Burton is kind of the stranger from outside the world, but so comfortable in his own skin that he kind of fits into it. And you're seeing the story through his eyes. So I think overall the story was pretty fresh, unique, and seemed to borrow a lot from Chinese mythology Chinese mysticism and I enjoyed it quite a lot and I'll just wrap it up there all right Kevin your
1: thoughts on the story of 1986's Big Trouble in Little China wonderful world building and mythology in Big Trouble in Little China that's aided obviously by the costumes and the sets and everything but it was a very well told story you felt like you were just following them along in these wonderful little action areas and in Learning as you're going as well, not just about the villains, but about each other. And it's a very eclectic group of heroes when you kind of think about it. Just going in, it's like if anyone of you and I were just kind of hanging out, we just got sucked into this. You know, I really enjoyed this story. You started to care for certain people and it really made the villains interesting and each, every single one of them. So I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. You know, we've used the term, I think on the show,
2: or maybe not the show, maybe somewhere else along box, but we've used it negatively. And I'm going to use the same term for the story of Big Trouble in China, but I don't mean it negatively. We've used the term, it feels like a 12 year old is telling you a story, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in this case, like, Let's say it's a 12-year-old who's in the Talented and Gifted program, right? Like, it just kind of goes on like, oh, and by the way, there's a monster. And oh, by the way, there's like this floating
1: eyeball thing. And oh, by the way. (laughs) Or it's your favorite grandfather telling you a story to kids because he has to simplify it to make it fun. (laughs) I'll go with that.
2: It is that in the best possible way to
1: me. All right, let's talk
2: about the story of 1983's Crawl. Jason, back to you.
0: Well, again, we have kind of this fantasy, almost fairy tale element. Very black and white, good versus evil. Uh, the evil just literally falls from the sky and starts conquering this planet. True love is the only thing that can defeat this evil. Of course, the quest element is to go and rescue said true love and slay the beast. So it's pretty cut and dry, it gets you from point A to point B. B to point C to the final final battle. I think the strength in this one really lies in the wide and diverse group of characters that are introduced along the way. The thing that really strikes me with this one is, you know, there's some young superstars. We got uh, Liam Neeson, Robbie Coltrane is in here. But everybody else is kind of like, I don't know if I've ever seen this cat in anything before or since. But they all do so well, and they all just interact so well together that I think kind of hats off to the director and just to the chemistry on this set. So stories kind of cookie-cutter, get you, move you along, but the characters really make it interesting and entertaining.
1: Well said. Kevin, what do you have to add to that? I I agree. It is cookie-cutter. It's uh, I saw an early review of this that it was Excalibur meets Star Wars. And, you know, technically, these two films are both sorcery films, if you think about it. A little more swords in this one, of course. There's also a little bit of Robin Hood in this as well, that kind of adventure and swashbuckling and such. As you mentioned, uh, Jason, the uh, characters in this film was the most interesting part. Parts in the plot line, the overall plot line, though, fell a little flat for me. Whether it was certain decisions certain characters were making or to when we get towards the end, you know, the thing that kind of really stood out for me was that the Cyclops is like, no, I'm just going to stay here and die. I'm like, what is this? A tracks from the never ending story. You know, you're just going to stay there and die. <laughs> we're going to get like, <laughs> of course that, that happened a different, different year, but uh, there's just certain little things in the story that stood out to me, but the most enjoyable was definitely the gang of bandits that joined them. Were definitely very entertaining. And each kind of had their own little thing where the way they were introduced their history Liam Neeson's characters got some wives. Let's go ahead and check some out, you know? So there you go. Okay, well, wives over here cooking cook us some dinner.
0: Yes, well, I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> not
2: right there with you guys. The Kroll definitely does have that Excalibur plus Star Wars vibe. And like you said, Kevin, I think some of the plot points sometimes do fall a little flat. I, I'm always entertained by like, okay, you got to go get the glaive. So I climb a mountain and I put my hand in some lava and here's the glaive. Okay, so anybody could have gone and
1: gotten it at any given moment. I got thoughts on that later. Okay, we'll talk about that later.
2: <laughs> then there's some things that like just stay with me, like the point where they um go to the spider's web. You know, spider's web scenes kind of cool. So I, it's a roller coaster uh, for me as well. But with that, uh, I guess all we have left to do is score them. So. Jason, let's double back to Big Trouble in Little China, nineteen eighty-six. The story is pretty creative. I feel like you probably rewarded it as
0: such, and you gave it a. I gave it a seven. Yeah, I thought it was well above average. A great creative story, very unique. Seven for me. All right, I was
2: slightly more taken with its creativity. You know, I like bonkers stuff. This is a bonkers story, so I gave it an eight. Moving over to crawl, 1983, scale of 1 to 10, Jason.
0: Well, I mean, just for the story itself, I gave it a six. I think it was, like I said, kind of cookie cutter, but the characters and the sets kind of made it, bumped it up to just a little bit above average. But yeah, a lot of the same elements you see in a Star Wars or if you see in Excalibur or you see in Robin Hood or things like that. So, But yeah, solid six for me.
2: Again, this is going to be one of those episodes where I was just maybe in a better mood than Jason. I have it at a seven. The small things added up that I really liked, elements of the story, the spider web portion. For some reason, I think fire mares are, like, really cool. And <laughs> I don't know. It just had enough creativity to bump to seven for me. So now we just have to go to our sniper, which is our good friend Kevin. He's got one point to give. Which movie had the better story for you, Kevin?
1: You know, when I look back at Crawl and Big Trouble in Little China, The problem that I have with the story mostly sits with Crawl for me. And it's kind of a pacing issue, which I think has a lot to do definitely with the story. There was a little too much people going places and climbing things. The music is really what kind of keeps you going a little bit. This movie was two hours and one minute. The story should have probably edited about 20 minutes out of people just walking places, you know. And <laughs> Lord, when you get yeah, <laughs> when you get into Big Trouble Little China, hour and 39, 40 minutes edited really well, moves, moves, moves. And the story was every corner you basically turned with the characters. You were with them. And so I'm gonna give my sniper bullet to Big Trouble Little China. Sounds good to me. And that
0: is the end of round one. Well, that brings to round two, and we're gonna talk about the hero.
1: Better Alive, you are coming with me.
0: The hero, as well as the supporting ensemble that uh, supports the hero, as the case may be. Uh, Let's talk about the hero for Big Trouble in Little China. And we'll start with you, Kevin.
1: All right. Big Trouble in Little China. Now, technically, it's the hero's duo, if you look at it. You got Wang and you got Jack. I'll tell you right now, Wang gets overlooked. Everyone talks about Jack. Everyone talks about Jack. The reason why is because Jack Burton has swagger. He's got these great one-liners. Plus, what's really interesting about him, he's just a guy. He doesn't have any background in special forces. He's not an ex-cop, ex-CIA. He's a truck driver. And, you know, he's got some great lines. You know, like Margo says, are you going to spring us? And Jack says, I have no idea. <laughs> you know? And, you know, when Jack opens the door and, and sees the, uh, the hatchet guys, closes the door, we may be trapped. <laughs> but I got to tell you. He has one of the best lines, one of the best moments when he says, no, I'm not going to kiss her goodbye. That was either just cool as, or maybe cooler than Han saying, I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Good
0: points. All very good points. Yeah. We all love Jack, but yeah, Wang was carrying more than his weight during that. that Yeah, give
1: Wang some credit. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. His chi was off center. His energy was all out of balance. Jared. Thoughts on Big Trouble Little Chat? Well, luckily for you guys, I feel kind of invincible right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: not scared, really.
1: (laughs) I'm kind of invincible.
2: (laughs) Okay, Kevin's absolutely right. This movie is meant to be more of a duo movie. It's So when I do The Hero, it's going to be a combination of Wang and Jack. And it's so beautifully done. Because, like you said, Kevin, everybody remembers Jack because he has absolute swagger and confidence in himself, even when he shouldn't. And that's what makes him wonderful. That's what makes him fun to watch. Because if you watch the movie and you really pay attention, he contributes almost nothing to to, to the whole thing. You see the movie through his eyes. He is the audience because you're getting absorbed into this whole wild world along with him. You know, much like Winston is the role of the audience in Ghostbusters. Like, you're getting brought into this wild world through Winston's <laughs> eyes, really. Because he's he's the normal guy. He's the audience. And, and that's who Jack is in this. He's so confident while contributing almost nothing it is so wonderful to watch. Like, there's a point where he even knocks himself unconscious for a few minutes before the fight even starts, right? There's a point where it takes him so long to get his weapons together. That by the time he's got them together, Wank has already defeated everybody.
1: He's he always provided two things, three things: quip one-liners, a getaway vehicle, and he does finally get was it low ping in the head with a knife. That's all. Yeah, the the
2: last contribution, (laughs) which is awesome, because they set it up at the very beginning with the beer bottle. It's great. So
1: Jack's journey
2: is funny because you know most movies your hero does a journey and they develop, and Jack. the same guy at the end is at the beginning. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention something that Jason and I talked about. We were talking about Jack Burton the other night. How funny it is when two Asian gangs are shooting a- each other and sword fighting and kung fu. And he's literally sitting in the cab of his truck. He's holding a four-inch blade. Yep. Like, that's, like, it's his comfort. Like, he's got this four-inch <laughs> knife. And he's just so wonderful. So there's going to be a high score for the combination of Jack and Wang. Don't really Wang out. His martial arts is cool. He's got a couple of funny one-liners. He's a really good friend to Jack. They make a good dude. Now that we know about the whole Jackie Chan thing, I just I want to see that movie in my head. No slight on the actor who played Wang. He did a great job. But yeah, they're a fun duo. I've talked a lot in this round. I
0: feel like uh, I feel kind of invincible. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. There's nothing really for me to add. I thought exactly the same thing. This is one of those where, you know, most movies you see your your main character grow throughout the course of the movie. Nope. He's back in there eating a sandwich, going on to his next assignment. Big trouble in little Seattle, I guess, or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, this movie could use a sequel, and I
1: would. Oh gosh, yes. If they it. got
2: Kurt Russell and John Carpenter to do it together again, I'd be all over it.
1: Oh, I'd be there. They'd take my money. Yeah, you know, there's there's supposed to be a rumor of a remake with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, I don't know if that's going to come to fruition, but that was a rumor for the last like three or four years. Dangerous movie to remake. Yes. You
2: know, I like the rock yes. and all, but some movies are just, they're so unique and oddball. Yep. Just leave it alone.
0: Yep. Well, let's talk about the heroes uh, in Crawl there. What do we think, Colwyn and Lisa and company? Kevin, we'll start with you again. Whew.
1: Lisa. Yeah, Lisa, I think is the, the which one? Uh, beautiful. Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Great to look at, too. She's got some confidence. I love her introduction in the beginning. She was good colwyn played by ken marshall when i keep watching this film now i don't know if you guys are star trek deep space 9 fans but he is more known to me as michael eddington from deep space 9 where he was the federation guy but he was like also the slash the maquis spy he was great he had a really great arc in that and i can't just see him without thinking of michael eddington but i'm a little distracted by ken a little bit because oh he doesn't quite have the swagger that i would like to see in a position like that his pants were really, really tight. <laughs> there was times where I'm like, "Okay, yeah, all right, gotcha, all right." He looked good. Not a dread pirate Roberts looked good, but he had his moments. But uh, I would give him more kind of a, an average feel when it comes to uh, your action hero. So,
0: okay, so he did okay, but had tight pants and uh, yeah, yeah, really, really tight. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Showing his glaive there a little bit. <laughs> All right. Jared, what are your thoughts? Other than you gotta edit this out. <laughs> oh,
2: um, yeah, I almost feel bad for Ken because he's got leaning man good looks. He's got charisma, he's got charm, and like you just never see him again. I feel like he would have done better if he was sort of in the more modern like he was a movie star now you know with his youthful good looks and all that because i'm certain he could land at least like a supporting character in a superhero film Uh, he's got that look about him and i think he was charming but man he just kind of (laughs) disappeared i I, I just feel bad for him but like jason alluded to earlier when it comes to the sort of hero category it's really made up by their band they have the band of heroes is what makes him interesting although i I'm not saying that he was not interesting. He was just fine. I was very engaged, especially at the beginning. It was it was kind of Romeo and Julietish, you know, where the, the two houses need to unite and all this stuff. And what was nice is that, you know, even though both their fathers were like, <laughs> they didn't kind of fall into that stereotype. They were very much into each other. And they're like, yeah, this is cool. Let's unite these kingdoms. And, you know, I was into it. So I think he did a fine job. Just summary, I feel bad for him. <laughs> I <laughs> that he just disappeared.
0: Yeah, I thought he did fine as a character. I think, you know, unlike the Jack Burton, we said, you know, the, the interesting element of him is he didn't change. We did get to see Colwyn grow and start developing those king-like traits. Yeah, I felt kind of bad for him, too. I thought he did a, a great job. Oh, love for Colwyn, I guess. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and score him. All right, hero for Big Trouble in Little China, Jack Burton and company, and Wang, what are we giving them? Jared. Well, Jack Burton himself is so compelling and fun to watch with his one-liners and his
2: lipstick and all those wonderful <laughs> things that he alone, I would give a solid eight to. And you factor in Wang and company, you know, there's a few people that help out. I'm bumping it all the way to a nine. It's super charming to watch. and I think it's wonderful. I'm giving them a nine.
0: Yeah, I must have been in just a little bit worse of a mood than you, because I was just one underneath and an eight for all the same reasons. I thought... <laughs> Man, so entertaining, so much fun to watch. Peek behind the curtain. I had just watched it maybe a month ago as I was going through my Blu rays in alphabetical order. So I was like, do I really need to watch this again? And I put it in. I'm so glad I did, man. It's one that you can just kind of rewatch over and Definitely. over. So, well, what about Crawl? What are you giving Colwyn and Crawl?
2: Even though I like Colwyn a lot, he's about a six, but again, you factor in his
0: crew, that gives it a bump up as delvin would say and i'm um, going seven yeah it sounds like we finally bracketed the target here because that's where i landed uh Colin, uh myself uh gave him a seven um so that just turns it over to the sniper and see who's catching the bullet on this one
2: do me a favor before the sniper goes and just say the words match game
0: <laughs> <laughs> match game there we go match <laughs>
1: game there we go sorry oh boy all right take it kevin You know, it's interesting when you look at both of these heroes, they have a great supporting cast of all their own little quirks. And when you look at Crawl, they're all really fun to watch with their own little things and their weapons and the way that they kind of approach, you know, the battles and such. And then you look at Big Trouble in Little China. And, you know, even though not all of them are fighting to a certain degree, everyone, the women, everyone is just doing a great job in there. But when it comes down to it, though, when you look at Jack Burton, and when he's so confident in everything he says and kind of, you know, he's taking control, you're trying to wonder if he's doing the, the model of fake it till you make it. If he was, I couldn't pinpoint it because he just always knew, he was just always saying, Look, this is what we're going to do, and blah, blah, blah. And he just stepped in there. <laughs> and sometimes you just need someone to do that. And he carried that so well. So I got to give my sniper bullet Wa-choo! to Mr. Jack Burton.
0: Fair enough. All right. Well, we've got uh, round two wrapped up. I'm going to pass it back to Jared for round three.
2: Now, this really pisses me off to no end. Round three is the villain. How memorable is your villain? How menacing is your villain? All that good stuff. And I think we'll have Kevin go first on this one. Let's talk about the villainy of
1: Big Trouble in Little China. Kevin. Oh, I've got stuff here. This is is fun. I've been looking forward to this. Let's just call it Lopan's Gang, I guess you could say. Love these guys. I want to give a shout out, first of all, to a couple of guys, stuntman, villain extraordinaire, Jeff Amata. But more importantly, one of my heroes of all time, Mr. Al one of the hatchet men. For those of you who don't know who Al is, he is the uh, candy bar eating terrorist from, of course, Die Hard. Genghis Khan and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. When you see him come up, you know stuff's about to go down. But the bad guys are great in this. I just absolutely love the bad guys in this. They all have time and moments to shine. Facial expressions, too. A lot of fun. Love love the villains in this. You just got to say the gang, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you do. You, you do. It's uh, This is going to be a summary,
2: a synergy round, I feel. Jason. He's left a lot for you to talk about because there's so many more
0: gang members, <laughs> so feel free to expand. Well, you have the the women that they fight on the bridge. <laughs> <right now. laughs> got yeah. Houses,
2: yeah. Got, ninja women.
0: You, you got the Jim Henson puppet villains with the, the monster dude and the floating eyeball. There's just all kinds of crazy stuff, but for me, it's Lopan, man. Lopan just carries the show. Jared and I were talking about the scene where he's like, you see this? This is stuff that pisses me off. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's, it's it me, off. All, me off to no end I, I was just rolling on the floor man and then you know as he's floating around and like phasing through furniture he's got the mind control things going on Oh, he's just magnificent to watch so yeah I think Kevin you said it great it's just a great menagerie of
1: villains and uh, they certainly help hold up their end of the film Jared, don't you usually have like a certain actor that pops up and they'll bump up a point because he just happens to be in the film? No, I've done that before. Yeah. yeah well, for me, it's Ali Wong. I love this guy. Love this guy. He's <laughs> got such a, a, a great look. And so, yeah, there you
2: go. To make you even feel better about it, Kevin, I watched this movie. We were visiting some friends over the weekend and the majority of the gang all went to play a board game. And only three of us stayed to watch the movie. Myself, my son, Jordan. This is one of his very favorite movies. And my friend, Jeannie, who'd never seen this before. And as soon as she saw him on screen, she was like, is that the candy bar guy from Die Hard? I was like, you are correct. Yes, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah, just a great team. I mean, we went through both of you guys, and nobody even really touched on the three storms, which Mm -hmm. are another huge part of it. Oh, gosh, yeah. There's so freaking much. (sighs) All right, well, we'll get back to score that in a minute. Let's go back to 1983 and into crawl. And Kevin, what do you think about the villainy there? It's kind of
1: weird. Okay, so... We got the Beast, who is living in the castle that moves. Great concept, by the way. I did want to shout that out. I love the moving castle. Great, great idea. Then we've got his Slayers. And I really like the look of the Slayers. The costumes are really cool. I like the fact that they have those staffs that shoot things. Kind of reminds me of the villains in Stargate SG-1. The Gua'ul, they have those staffs that shoot the, the weapons and stuff like that from Stargate. Just overall look is great. The only issue I have, though, is that the beast itself, I wish i kind of gotten a little more of a person that that you could see, not just, you just kind of see faces and claws, and it's almost like he's kind of sitting back in a chair and just doing like armchair fighting a little bit. You know, it was just, it was kind of weird that way. When it comes to the Slayers, they were very slow. It kind of reminded me of like the Centurions and um, Battlestar Galactica and stuff like that. I wanted to see them do a little bit more actions and just menacingly like walking around slow with the staff. So but they looked great. They were really, really cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's
2: a good assessment. Let's see what Jason has to add.
0: Now, I completely agree. Took a lot of what I was thinking. I'm not sure if it was the costume design or what it was, but it looked like the Slayer's minions were bogged down. Pardon the pun. Uh, but It kind of detracted from the fighting a little bit because you had these actors, the heroes that were obviously rehearsed with fencing and everything like we talked about. But it kind of doesn't play off because the villains can hardly move. I noticed that in this watch, Uh, what you said about the beast bang on the other thing that really kind of annoyed me is. I guess it's just he's bad for the sake of being bad. Like what's the motivation? Mm -hmm. Like is he spreading out conquering all these different planets or is he just going just this cat that's moving around, annoying one planet at a time? I didn't really quite get it. I just thought it was a little bit lazy part of the storytelling where it's just like, we call him the beast, so you know he's bad. And that's that's all that we get. So I thought the villainy in the movie was kind of the weak point in my estimation.
1: And I was trying to think if the widow of the web was a villain, but when she starts telling her story, you start to actually feel bad for her. You know, yeah. so I didn't even count her as a villain, even though from a distance you could definitely tell that her history feels like she's like a villain.
0: Well, I think that's a good point because you know, it's like I said with the the bad guys, the beast. There's no backstory. There's no mm-hmm. nothing there to grab onto, and yet with the heroes. You get kind of this rich backstory. It's like, "Oh, this old guy, and this woman had this love, and it just ended badly, and then now she's stuck in this web. What was their life like before He kept mentioning this duty. What duty was that? I wonder, right. so you have all these questions, and then when it comes to the bad guys, it's like ah, I don't know. yeah, and so it makes that part just a little more jolting and obvious.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you guys. I've always been bothered by the fact that when they do finally come to the beast, it's kind of kind of anticlimactic. They filmed the beast like in a stretched out different aspect ratio a lot. It's mm-hmm. almost like they didn't have confidence in their their makeup or their you know how they did him up, you know, their design of him, which is weird because they always kind of have a pretty clear-cut picture of him on the case. You held up your DVD case earlier, Kevin. He's on there and he was on the cover of that Marvel Comic special, and he looks freaking cool. Yeah, he's got those funky eyes and funky teeth, and they—they, they, it's almost like they were sh- too shy. Like, let's do it in a stretchy, weird aspect ratio, and let's not really have him fight. Let's just have him, like, chill, and then he gets hit, killed by the glaive in the end. You know, it was just anticlimactic is the word I'm yeah. going to use. So let's go ahead and score these, Jason. Let's go back to Big Trouble in Little China. Lopan and company, 1 to 10. What do you got?
0: Well, I'm giving this one a solid 7. I think that the villainy here is well above par for all the reasons that we stated. So, seven for me. And we're back into Jared's in a slightly
2: better mood. I gave it an eight. I like Lopan a lot. And then when you factor in the Three Storms, then when you factor in the henchmen uh, with the hatchets, then the monster, it's like, oh my gosh, there's villainy everywhere you look. So, I bumped it up to an eight. Crawl. What do you think, Jason?
0: Did they, did they get over that five hump? No, they didn't. You know, you said originally you didn't think there would be a five. This is a five for me. This was noticeable the villainy was lacking at least in terms of richness and depth just wasn't there. Very surface level. Like Kevin said, the costume designs were good, but not functional, not in a way like three years later, the aliens costumes are, are functional for example. So five for me.
2: All right. Again, better mood. I gave it a six probably cause I, I do like the design of the beast, even though they shied away from that. I do like the design of the costumes. Because at least it was memorable for me. Like, I didn't have to remember what they looked like. So I gave them a six. Might have been a little generous. Might have been a little Homerism for my love of seeing this movie in the theater as a child. But yeah, gave it a
0: six. Kevin, I, I did g- like the screams when they died. That was cool. <laughs> and little, like, like <laughs> little <laughs>
1: monsters that would come out of them. And, like, that was fun. Yeah, what was that about? We needed more of that. that I was, I was like, what is cool going on with that? that. Yeah. If those little monsters, like, became something else. That would have bumped it up a lot, I think.
0: Again, know? yeah, if they would have. Yeah explain that a little bit give me something just give me something to hold on to kevin i think you got a pretty easy job on this one but you could shock the world
2: if you want what are you gonna do with your sniper bullet
1: not going to shock the world here i have a sniper bullet that i'm going to call the magic bullet because it's going to land on every single one of those wonderful villains in big trouble in little china
2: excellent all right so uh that's it for round three let's go to round
0: four feel kind of invincible (laughs)
1: well round four passing it back
0: to me i've got the spectacle so we're going to talk about the visual effects, sound effects, music, settings, costumes, all the stuff that makes action movies great. Again, we'll start with Jared this time, and let's talk about Big Trouble in Little China and The spectacle. Big Trouble in Little China is a spectacle film very
2: much aided by its editing that Kevin mentioned earlier. The pacing of it's great. Like, this movie just blows by you. It just blows by you. It's, it's a whirlwind of eye candy from... You mentioned Jason, Jim Henson style monster. You've got uh, Lopan, younger mystical version, older decrepit <laughs> version. Oh my gosh. You've got basically the god fight between the two when they use like their power rings. Like it's a it's almost like a Power Rangers moment where they, they summon these ancient gods to battle. I mean, it's like what? Every time you turn around, you go what? It's like Little John watching movie. What? Yeah, (laughs) okay. (laughs) You know, you just you cannot get enough of it. It is is spectacle eye candy. The score is pretty uh, decent. Not Carpenter's most memorable score, but very good and very serviceable. Looks good and sounds good. And what? You know, every every time. That's that's in summary.
1: What? (laughs) It's very engaging. So what are your thoughts, Kevin? Big Trouble in Little China. The spectacle, like I said before, well-paced. The set decorations are just amazing. I found myself looking at all the little pieces around it. Great music. I assume John Carpenter did his own music again. He is an underrated composer. I love his music. Always have have loved his music. The effects were great, too. A lot of fun there. I felt like I was in this human maze of adventure and fun. And you're just following through that. And that right there, when you can feel like you're with them and you're being drawn into this and you want to see what the left door does or the right door does or the left turn or the right turn has done a really, really good job with the overall spectacle here. But one of the coolest spectacles, and I'm surprised I don't see it more is that when bad guys capture the good guys and they tie them down, more people need to be tied to wheelchairs because you can just move them around. It's easier that way. And mm-hmm. I realized that there are some mm-hmm. sight gags with that, especially with Jack Burton falling backwards. But if you really need to get someone without forcing them to walk, maybe they don't want to walk, just tie them to a wheelchair and move them around. It's great.
2: <laughs> I know I already went, but I want to tag you to something, Kevin, too. Like, I noticed in this last viewing the way you feel like you're part of that human maze. I noticed this last time, like when they're running and escaping oftentimes there's a cameraman literally running in the pack with them. And I think that does a lot to make you feel like you're in that maze with them. So yeah, I've definitely noticed that and picked up on that too. As a good observation, Kevin.
0: Yeah. Really good observation. It's it does make you feel like you're part of the adventure. Well, speaking of adventure, let's go back to crawl and see what Jared thinks of the spectacle of crawl. I adore
2: the spectacle of crawl. This is a fantastic looking movie. First of all, tip of the cap to whoever they sent out to scout locations. They found locations much in the same way that Star Wars does on this Earth that look like they're from somewhere else, like another planet. You know, it's clearly Earthbound, but it's so gorgeous and so magnificent. Like all their countryside locations are just magnificent and beautiful. You can't not notice that. Like their backgrounds are great. We talked about costume design, which was really great. Even with the limited 1983 special effects, yes, clearly there was some rear projection going on with the uh, fire mares, but the way they execute fire mares is so, so freaking cool. The way they execute their model work, Jason and I both noticed that this was Derek Metting work. This is the guy who, who makes James Bond work on this. I got to admit, this may be its highest score category for me because I think it just looks great.
0: High praise indeed.
1: Kevin, agree, disagree? Any other thoughts? Like you said, the location scout guy did a great job here. It's beautiful. It really, really is. I, I love when you go to exotic areas and you film, especially with those Clydesdales running through that ravine. Awesome scene. And I really think, too, that the practical effects were a lot of fun in this as well. The special effects towards the end, you kind of touched on a little bit, Jared. That's where it kind of falls a little bit for the spectacle a little bit, where they did that, you know, inside the castle, they had some great sets and and stuff like that, which I thought was cool, especially when the floor opened up and some of the guys fell through. That was really neat. However, like I said about the pacing of it, what really helps is the James Horner score, which was absolutely wonderful. I don't think James Horner really done a bad score. He's really good. and He's done a really good job, too, at not, plagiarizing himself as well when it comes to doing a lot of films and he really knows how to set the mood, set the scene. When you see our hero climbing and stuff like that, whether the scene is taking long, you got that music to help guide you through which I think is really, really good.
0: Great observations. When you hear the name James
2: Horner, the first thing I think of is Star Trek music. What about you, Kevin? Do you feel, is that what you think?
1: Definitely, definitely. Uh, he, he's definitely has his niche there. He's really, really good. When you look through his IMDb, it's amazing. And I remember we did a podcast on Culture Clash where we talked about a lot of famous and impactful composers, and he was definitely at the top of the list. Certainly, certainly. I don't know, Jason. I know
2: you're not as into music scores, but if you had thoughts on James Horner, I didn't
0: want to leave you out. Oh, no, I'm with you. This is for free, too. There you go. all right gonna edit that out i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) all right let's go ahead and score them spectacle big trouble little china what are you giving it jared
2: the most solidest of eights i think it's got a really good strong spectacle solid
0: eight wow i am just like maybe i just needed to be in a better not watch it after work maybe that's what it was (laughs) i gave it a seven and what about crawl jared
2: all right, this is Crawls' moment. It also got an eight. I thought its spectacle was just as good as Big Trouble's, but in a very different way. They're very different, but they both are very striking. So it also gets an eight, mainly because of the great settings and the musical score that Kevin really sold us on.
0: Well, we don't have match game, but we have match concept. I give it a seven, same as uh, Big Trouble's Little China for the exact same reason.
1: All right, sniper time. Kevin, who's getting the bullet? This was tough. This was the one where I was going, okay, this is where I think both of these films excel in. When it comes to spectacle, when it comes to Big Trouble in Little China, there's also a claustrophobic thing feeling with it, which is is a good thing. But when it comes to spectacle, I like it when you can get outdoors. And I like it when you can show a beautiful countryside. And then also... They really use that set, the James Bond set, that bog set or that Mars set was pretty amazing, especially for back then. And that alone is pretty cool. This was really, really tough. I'll be honest with you. But I found myself more looking at all the details and the costumes and the other little things when it comes to quick editing and such like that. I got to give the sniper bullet to Big Trouble in Little China. It was close. That, That was a tough one. Mm -hmm. lots of sniper bullets getting sent
0: to chinatown these days all right well let me pass it over to you for the best action scene get over here yes round
2: five jared's fake round i want to welcome everyone to round five best action scene and it's really going to get thrown back to jason he's going to break down the action scenes from each of the films we're all going to pick our favorite action scene and then we're going to double back and score them and kevin will fire his final bullet at the very end of all of that. So anyway, Jason, would you please break down the action scenes for us from Big Trouble in Little China?
0: Well, I've got three action scenes here, Jared. The first is the alley fight and the subsequent chase uh, for them to get away. The second is the infiltration and then the subsequent sex slave rescue. And then the third is the wedding raid when they go to stop Lopan from Marrying the green-eyed women. So, I don't know. I guess, let's see. We can call the first one... This here is a story of Jack and Wan fighting in the alley with fists and hands. (laughs) Even your made-up ones (laughs) on the spot are pretty decent. Uh, Sex Slave Rescue, Me Rescue You Long Time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Give me a solid maybe on that one. And then uh, Wedding Raid... Green-Eyed with Envy.
2: (laughs) All right, all right. So of those three, Jason, which one was your favorite action scene?
0: Oh, gosh, it was really tough. I mean, all three were so unique. They had comedic elements to it. I'm going to go wild and go with the alley fight. I thought that the very first scene, with them just busting caps, going to knives, going to swords, going to sticks, hand-to-hand in the alley and the subsequent escape, I think it set the tone up for the movie right from the get-go. The other two are excellent as well. But for me, that one sucked me in right away. So I'm going to give it to the alley fight.
2: Strangely enough, Jason, I'm going to do the same. It's one of those ones where I think I would score all the fights about the same score.
0: But I really like that one because from the moment
2: I watched this movie for the first time, I was in high school and I got it from the, the library on VHS. When I watched that first fight scene, that's what hooked me. I was like, what is going on with this movie? And it was just a great hook. So I just still get that feeling when I watch it. So I'm going to go with you on that one. No slide on the other two. I think I like, so I think I'd score them all the same. It just it hits my heart a little more for that first one. Because the first time I watched the movie, it blew me away. Kevin, what was your favorite action scene?
1: Definitely the opening alley fight scene. Because that told you what you what kind of ride you were going to go for in this film. The tension inside that cab. The four-inch <laughs> blade. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Wang just saying, don't quiet, don't say anything. You could see yourself inside there going, what would I do? Especially that scene where you, they look in the mirrors, the the rearview mirrors, and they see what's coming behind them. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to start your truck right then. You're going to try to be as quiet as you can. And it gets you in on most of the main villains, the appetizers, I guess, of villains mm-hmm. that, that you're going to mm-hmm. get here. <laughs> and it's just great. And my buddy, Alion, just makes, you know, a great entrance in that. And Machine guns, you start firing, gunfire, and then all of a sudden it just goes to bladed weapons and blunt weapons. It's great. (laughs) Well, it's interesting,
0: too, because up until this point, you don't really know what kind of a movie it is. Is this going to be some sort of seedy, back alley,
1: gang crime type of martial arts film? Well, yes, and. (laughs) and and then it lets you know that it steps it up a notch because all of a sudden sorcery comes into play right when these these guys land and they got these cool outfits you're like oh my god what's going on now
0: yeah and then you're like oh i am entering a whole new phase of this film yeah it's my favorite dude he was in the black and red gang
2: I call him a uh, Asian cowboy. He had two six shooters, and yeah, he was. I like he he's like, like gold my favorite like, six shooters too, man. Yeah, and he had like bandol- bandoliers. Bandol- like I-, I don't know why I always
1: remember him, but <laughs> he's one. He's one of that guys. You see him in a lot of those films where he plays that. But yeah, yeah give him the double six shooters. No, that was great. That was great. All right, Jason,
2: break down the action scenes for us, please. And crawl. I'm imagining you're gonna be at three again, but I'm just guessing.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I think you've basically got three set action pieces. The first one is the villainous raid on the wedding and the fight that ensues there when Lisa gets kidnapped. Second one about midway through where you have the fight scene in the swamp where they get ambushed. And then finally you have the castle raid where they have to make that desperate attack on the castle before it vanishes and moves to another location and then all kind of the kind of subsequent shenanigans that take place inside so that's kind of the three that I've broken it down don't really have cool nicknames for this one either uh, I guess wedding beast invitation like did my invitation get lost in the mail I don't know <laughs> <laughs> swap fight crawl through the mud <laughs> yes. Craw- crawl through the mud
2: alright <laughs> All right. All right.
0: <laughs> I, what did, I, I started drafting one up for this one. I said, this is where Liam Neeson gets taken. That's ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> <It's> ridiculous. <laughs> oh,
2: so much to see. So much to do. What was your favorite action scene? Kevin, What would you go first this time? What your favorite action scene from Crawl?
1: You know, I'm going to go with the swamp battle because I really liked that set. What I loved about that set too was that they utilized it very well. I mean, if you would also consider the quicksand or in this case, the slow sand action scene a little bit, a lot of tension there. And it was really, mm-hmm. it was really good. And this also alluded to everyone's fear of quicksand in the eighties. You know, that was such yeah, a thing. Yeah. It was everywhere. <laughs> I was uh, but I, quicksand everywhere I went. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like that scene. I like the way it was shot with the slayers and uh, some good fighting scenes there as well. You get to really kind of see, this is where the bandits really kind of got a chance to shine as well. Yeah. Jason, best action scene to crawl. Boy, you know, I love that swamp
0: scene as well, but I got to give it up to the castle raid. I think there was just so much that was happening there. And to me, one of the most poignant parts of the film, and we talked a little bit about the Cyclops and the tragedy of the only thing that he can see in the future is his own death. And if he tries to avoid that death, then he'll have a brutal, painful death. And when you see the team all trapped and they can't get in that castle and they're running out of time and you see that lone fire mayor come across streaking across that plane, you're like, Oh my gosh. He's like, I'm going to chuck it in the effort bucket because you know, I'm going out my way. And he takes out that sentry at the gate. And then he gives his life holding that gate until it literally crushes him to death. One of the most agonizing ways to go. But what bigger hero than my man the Cyclops in that movie? So that's why I'm gonna pick the Castle Raid.
2: Yeah, I tell you what, what I think back on it, the most memorable part of any of the action scenes is the Cyclops sacrifice for me too. So I will give the slight nod to Castle Raid, but I feel the same way about it as I do about Big Trouble. I like all three of the set pieces. I like the I, I think we talked about how the bad guys were a little stiff and all. I think their best moment in action is actually the first scene that scene, they have the best sort of mesh of a good choreographed fight between a lot of different people. And,
0: and Well, I noticed too, because the set, it was really conducive for that because there was a lot of fighting like on stairwells and things where you mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of room to maneuver anyway. So there was no need to maneuver them around. But that that's a really good point, Jared.
2: Yeah, and then like Kevin said, the fight in the bog is, is definitely cool and, the, and a little more... Uh, everybody gets a cool moment type of anyway they're all great but I'll I'll join you on the final one just cuz when I think of that movie one of the first thing I think about is the cyclops sacrifice so yeah anyways nothing left to do but score them and get at that final sniper's bullet so Jason going back to big trouble in little china we all three of us like the opening scene on a scale of 1 to 10 what do you give that opening scene
0: I'm giving that one a 7 I think it was a solid uh, kung fu action opener with lots of comedic <laughs> elements and Tension, you know, was it the best choreographed martial arts fight scene I've ever seen? Does it rate up there with, like, the raid or anything like that? Probably not, but it was well above average, so I'm going to settle on a 7. All right, if you guys have been waiting for another match game, it has arrived. I also <laughs> scored a 7. Like I said, I'd
2: probably give a 7. To all of them. I thought they were all, you know, better than average fight scenes. All right, Jason Kroll, we both liked the ending battle. You liked the tune of?
0: Pound, pound, kiss for the Cyclops. I'm going to give it a seven.
2: (laughs) And we match game for the third time. I also gave it a seven. I thought it was a strong action scene and lots of fun. And our sniper, Kevin, loaded up that final bullet. Which movie has better action scenes from your point of view?
1: Going to go with Big Trouble in Little China. You know, I chose that opening Alley Fight as my favorite because it was just a great way to open up a film but it was consistent throughout the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, all these different little fights that you you had mentioned, Jason. It, it just like I said, all of them were fun. Even the end fight scene. You know, when guys started flying around, and then you got the monsters coming in. And I definitely, I have to give my sniper bullet to uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, it looks like a clean sweep of bullets going to Big. Trouble.
0: It got oh. the full clip, man. It got the yep. full <laughs> clip. <laughs>
2: Uh, that's one of the charms of Big Trouble. That was like Kevin was alluding to. Is like it it gives you this table setter, and then you get the impression that like nobody ever said no to any idea for the rest of the film. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, we can add this, okay. Well, we can add this, okay. Why not? Like, yeah, and you know.
1: there was a, there was also a great selection of weapons used in that film as well. True, uh, which which yeah. made it a, even a lot yeah. more fun to watch. Even see where they're used. all swapping weapons. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like it's like John Carpenter started with like a a bottle of whiskey and started writing a script, and then he had just you know he was nearing that bottle by that third scene, and he, <laughs> just drinking it down. Hey, <laughs> this thing needs some Muppets. <laughs>
2: Well, that's the end of round five, so I'll hand it to Jason for round six. Put the knife away and shut your
0: mouth. All right. Hate to go negative, but round six is the deduction round. This is where we can take points off of the film for anything that we find lacking. Things that make us go, "Eh," things that take us out of the film, reduce our enjoyment of it. we'll go ahead and start with Big Trouble in Little China. Jared, are you going to take any points off of Big Trouble in Little China? Don't you dare.
2: Well, here's the thing, Jason. In past episodes, we've called this the round for the ridiculous. Well, the movie is ridiculous, and that's its selling point. It's supposed to be ridiculous. So no, I'm not taking off anything.
0: Bless your soul. I'm not taking off anything either. What about Crawl? Are you taking anything off there? Uh, There again, no. I'm I'm not going to take off anything from it. I mean... It's crawl. <laughs> it's
2: like it's so much its own world. There's nothing really that you can really break reality because it's its own reality. So no, no, I'm taking anything off and crawl. I think it's just fine the way it is. But
0: no, I'm not taking
2: anything off either. And uh, the sniper doesn't get to take anything off. But Kevin, do you have any airing of grievances that you would like to do at this time?
1: I do. I actually have one for each film. I'm going to start with the obvious, and that is uh crawl. The glaive. The glaive was highly underutilized in this film. Mm, hum, hum. And this film is a cult classic just because of how the glaive looks and it flies. It is one of the coolest looking weapons of all time. One of the podcasts that I co host is with my buddy Kyle called Culture Clash. And we touch on all kinds of pop culture, but we have fun segments. We got a fun segment where we go back and pick a hall of fame in a topic and we pick our top seven. And one of the ones that we picked best movie weapons of all time and we picked our top seven and my buddy kyle picked glaive as number one for him it was in my honorable mention but as i'm watching this movie again i think it's a little overrated now because first of all he stopped from using it and he's told you're gonna you will know when you need to use it i'm sorry but he should have been slashing that thing around all (laughs) through the film it should have been indiana jones's whip Maybe it could have had swamp salu- fight should have been just like exactly just like maybe that, it could have had like a, a charge where you can only use it a certain amount of time so it was get, so it's not this unbeatable weapon but it really needed to be used better and then at the end it gets stuck in the bad guy I guess and he's trying to use the force to bring it back and you're like watching it going he's gonna get it back he's gonna get it back and he doesn't and it just like dies with the bad guy and so that's my big grievance with crawl is that the glaive is is really underutilized. And I really wanted to see more of it. That's a good point because when we were kids in the '80s, after you saw this movie, every time you
2: picked up a frisbee, you were pretending it was the Glade. Yeah, yeah.
1: We had like that arrowbe. Remember the arrowbe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like I said. It's just it's such a legendary looking weapon, and that's what really kind of carries. I think this cult fandom of Krull. is all oh, the glaive was such a great weapon. It's like, yeah, but does it really doesn't use that well? So it's a beautiful prop. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes it is um my one point of contention <laughs> and and trust me when you watch a uh, big trouble in little china again you're not going to let it leave you i'm sorry but jack burton's moccasin boots i know they were hot for a hot minute but i can't <laughs> get past moccasin boots they never looked good on any man i ever saw that wasn't native american I love the fact that he had the little knife hidden in it. That's great. But he needed some real trucker boots, you know, some actual like cowboy boots or maybe something a little more thinking. But every time I saw him running around, I just can't get past the moccasin boots. Sorry. Doesn't do it for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they're very fetching either, but I just I don't know. I just include it in the movie's
1: wackiness. (laughs) (laughs) That would be my first question if I ever met Kurt Russell. Why moccasin boots? Oh, <laughs> moccasin boots? You know, It's another, another fashion choice that I always remember from that
2: film is the dude at the airport. He was in the Asian gag and he had the, the white sunglasses with just the slit.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. man, it's going to be tough to see through that. Yeah, that was like a, a Devo throwback there. You know? <laughs> so, any other fashion uh, faux pas we want to throw? <laughs> but No, yeah. that was it. That was it. That, that's, that's that's, that, that one just
2: bugs me every time. All right. That brings us to the end of our official rounds. All right, folks, don't worry if you haven't been keeping up with the math at home, because we do that for you here at Action Film Face Off. And first, you must know, we've already mentioned it, all of your sniper bullets from Kevin went to big trouble. It got the all five of them. So, clean sweep from the sniper. Now, as far as match game, three match games on this episode. Just the three, but when big big finish there. We had two at the very end, just to make it exciting for you. So, three match games and five sniper bullets uh, that all went to big trouble. And now, looking at the judges' scorecards, the winner of this episode with a score of 81 to 64 is Big Trouble in Little China.
0: Congratulations to Big Trouble in Little China. Well, that was exciting, but let's head over to the randomizer and find out what the years are going to be for our next episode. My brother Jared will be pulling a film from Choose Your Destiny. 1970. Woo, go back. Back to the beginning to the genesis, and I will bring a film from Choose Your Destiny. 2002 what will those films be well we're gonna tease them on social media for those of you who want to watch before listening and we're looking at you dave or you can tune in next episode to find out but wait there's more we've got some listener email and i believe a listener voice message if i'm not mistaken jared
2: you are not mistaken. Let's see what we've got in our voicemail. And any one of you can send a voicemail into the show at our phone number, which is 707-532-5269, 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the, up the phone. phone. But here is our voicemail for the week. It's not identified. They didn't identify themselves, but they had some nice things to say and some thoughts on RoboCop versus Terminator.
0: Just give me my phone call. Hey, guys. Loved action film Face Off the other day. The Terminator versus Robocop. Hadn't seen Robocop actually all the way through until this popped up. So you got to watch it. Still think Terminator's the better movie. So <laughs> yay, team. All
2: right, guys. See you later. Bye. All right. We do love getting those voicemails. So remember... You, too, can send those in. Get them played on the show at 707-532-5269. That's 707 532 box.
1: Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we also have an email from a frequent writer inner. I don't know if that's a real word. But it's from our friend Captain Entropy. And I I need to note that Captain Entropy did send an email on a previous episode that I completely lost. And we forgot to read on the uh, episode. So, our bad Captain Entropy. And we're going to make it up for you on this one. I'm going to read your entire email. Everybody sit back, relax. So,
0: Captain Entropy's email vanished?
2: (laughs) It's weird. (laughs) Captain Entropy writes Jared and Jason, I found the film lineup and the learned guest from this episode very enticing. See what I did there? Because our guest's name was Tai Sing. Anyway, back to his letter. Seriously, great episode by all, including the sniper. I learned things, but had fun anyway. I had not thought of Robocop's Murphy as a Christ figure, but it works as far as it goes. I think the Terminator has an even heavier metaphor with Sarah Connor as a Madonna figure, however. A strange messenger tells Sarah she will give birth to a coming messiah, and even tells her his name, which has the initials J.C., Said messiah figure even arranged for his own bodily incarnation by an unwed mother in strange circumstances, a woman who saw many wonders and momentous events and pondered them in her heart. I think it was a close match, and an intentional one. I'm glad Terminator won, they're both films of hidden deaths. Robocops were political and sociological, and Terminators were more philosophical about man's relationship with his creations and the nature of fate. But Terminator has clearer division between the bad guys and the good guys, and it just looks prettier. RoboCop used its budget to great effect, showing us an ugly, hollow, cynical, commercialized future. It makes the Rise of the Machines look hopeful by comparison. Plus, I love the ending, when the little boy tells her that a storm is coming. See you next month, and I'm happy to be stuck in the 80s again. All the best, Captain Entropy. So thank you for sending that in. Uh, You deserved the whole thing to be read since we've missed your last one. Deeper
1: thoughts on Captain Entropy. Kevin, you look like you have something to say. (laughs) Very well said. And Tai Singh was great. I, I that was tough to follow up and I don't think I measured up to him, but great comments, especially that very eerie ending of Terminator. And you guys had a tough job and I gotta Ooh. applaud you guys. That was a great show. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank and you. And I have to applaud you because you were the one that told me about the documentary,
2: yeah, which ended yeah. up linking me up with Tai Singh. So it all came full circle. <laughs> That's so cool. That's cool. That was a great doc. Yeah. Yeah it was. I'm really glad you recommended it. And then I actually took your recommendation.
0: So and I helped. <laughs> Jason helped. <laughs> well, thank you, Captain Entropy. That was really great. Keep sending those in. We love hearing from you. Well, that's it. Until next time, I'm Jason Weasel Skull Albrick, and you can find me on social media at Weasel on Twitter or at Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram.
2: You can find me, Jared Albrick, the Yard Sale Artist, aka Death
0: Pro. <laughs> at
2: yard sale artist twitter facebook instagram it's all at yard sale artist you can check out my art at www.theyardsaleartist.com kevin where can people find you and all your myriad of wonderful podcasts
1: first of all you can find me on the fandom podcast network our master feed is at fpnet.podbean.com we have several shows on there that cover star wars star trek one of my favorites that i host is uh, our uh, highlander blood of kings podcast We cover the gamut, a lot of movie podcasts as well. And you can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Phoenix. And yes, that is a reference, of course, to one of my favorite movies, Demolition Man. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right, folks,
2: be sure to check out all the shows under the Longbox Crusade umbrella by subscribing to Longbox Crusade on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all your finer catches and some of the sketchier ones. You can also check us out directly at www.longboxprusade.com. If you want to send a question or a comment or an email, uh, you can hit us up at contact at longboxcrusade.com with those emails, like Captain Entropy, or you can hit us at social media. We are at Longbox Crusade. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is all at Longbox Crusade. And as previously noted, voicemails can be left at 707-532-5269. Oh, by the way, we also have a YouTube channel also called Longbox Crusade. You can check out our live streams there where we just get silly and have fun and interact with all our friends in the chat. It's good times. So with all that said, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you listening. Until next episode, keep your head down. And, and your knuckles, knuckles up. the The intro and outro theme to this show and all of our action film face-off shows are done by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9. You will not regret it. This episode also featured the track Cyberpunk Industrial Dark Synth Robot Parts by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. I just realized I never, I never actually printed out my score sheet, Jason. And 40, 41st episode is the first time I screwed this up. I got it right here. <laughs> oh, you son of a! <laughs> <laughs> do you have your scores on it for real? I do. You all right? We're gonna flip roles this time. You write my scores. Do you got a pencil? You're ready you to go. You are keeping track, my friend. Okay. Oh, Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> 41 episodes, and I didn't print it out. All right, you all to be do math, Laurel. <laughs> we needed stuff for the outtakes, anyway. Frickin okay, Alan's
0: quarter main. I'll <laughs> <laughs> <Hardly laughs> unmute and bring you in. Man. Uh, Jared, uh, real quick, give me your scores again. For uh,
2: I've been writing them down.
0: Okay, good, good.
2: <laughs> all right, son of a I knew I couldn't count on you, oh, man. I I failed. In the I've been just been putting them on the uh, on the document itself. I've been writing them on because I was like, I was watching you. I was like, I don't think he's right. I'll see
0: him moving. <laughs> no, it just dawned on me. I was like, because I, well, my train of thought went like, hmm, he sent every sniper bullet to big trouble in little China. Hi, huh, I probably should be writing that sniper bullet stuff down. <laughs> I should have written down all the scores <laughs> to this point as well.
2: Well, the good news is I banked on your failure. The bad news is I banked on your failure. But we're
0: good to go. do says bank on us to fail. You'll never. There uh, <laughs> we go, bro. I'll start doing math. Jason. I'll let you down, man. God. Never going to let you down. I will do my math forever. I'll carry the one and do it at the end. I'm lying out of my butt. I'm gonna give it to Mountain Flower to do the math, so we can get it right again. So,
2: uh if you've never seen Crawl or Big Trouble
0: in Little China, you—that'll <laughs> <laughs> right, be,
2: be for the outtake. If A little
0: you've never Ron seen... Burgundy, there. <laughs> All right, I'll do another one.